3: I, I don't even
2: like them Mackie and Judd On 1500 ESPN Now on Mackie and Judd Do
1: you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions What are the six degrees That separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance
0: Okay on the on the Joe Mauer rankings Lucky tweets in A photo of Joe Maurer Dressed up as the Beast For Halloween Was it last year? Yeah like, I think holy. it was last Yeah last year He's holding hands With his twin daughters Yep Who are dressed up as Belle and there's Joe just with a, some sort of a beast, full headdress on. Yep. And then he's got the like the maroon sort of Swedish jacket. It's the new Joe That's Maurer. It's pretty good too. What if this would be the biggest underdog story in a long time in Minnesota sports? If Joe Mauer was just oozing with this hilarious personality, but somehow never showed it publicly for two for two decades. Ultra eagle. I mean, wouldn't that be Different amazing? Guy, yeah. If it's like the best kept secret is how hilarious Joe Mauer is. <laughs> Mr. Personality, but it just never gets out publicly.
3: Kicks off a stand-up career after he retires from ball. <laughs> Let's go check out Mauer at Acme on Friday night. He's going to be great. Oh, that's amazing.
0: Alright, Dave's got some questions for us. Wolf's, Wet more at the bottom of the hour.
3: Wolves vent line, which we carried through a good portion of the first hour today, fills with a lot of angst after a Game 1 loss in Houston last night. A lot of guys worried that Towns didn't getting enough shots up and Oh, boy, Derrick Rose got so much time and Gorgie and, oh, we can't find the right guy in the pick and roll. Well, let's do this.
2: Now on Mackie and John. You
3: wanted better charts that you could see the fine print on.
2: The pie chart of praise. We oh, should be singing his praises. Yeah, let's do that because they still Optimism. only
3: lost by third uh, three points, yep. had a shot in the air to send it to overtime against a team in their own building that, f- frankly, should have Kick the crap out of them like they did all regular season long. For sure. So pie chart of praise the effort for nearly escaping with a game one victory. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I like the optimism here.
0: I like where we're going with this. So this is what's tough. Derrick Rose. I'm gonna I'm gonna give equal parts praise to Derrick Rose, Jeff Teague. I did think Jim, Jimmy Butler overall. He only took eleven shots, and but Jimmy Butler energy and I think he brings a confidence to the team. So my praise goes evenly to Jeff Teague, Jimmy Butler, and uh, and prob- probably Derrick Rose for this one. I'll just give them all like one-third of the pie. But where where I was I was tweeting back and forth with uh, Key Sang, who's a Wolves blogger, packmentality.com, and he does X's and O's and deep breakdowns. The problem when Derrick Rose goes 7 for 14 and scores 16 points and dishes out some assists in only 24 minutes, he's like, for Derrick Rose in a vacuum, that's a very good game is settling for 16 points on 14 shots when you have other guys who are more efficient offensively. So even in a game where Derrick Rose for Derrick Rose looks pretty good, Mm -hmm. he's taking away opportunities from more efficient, better scorers. Like if towns gets 14 shots in the game, He's going to score a lot more than 16 points on average. He's going to get well into the 20s. Like you're like praise to me, so it's backhanded praise. It's a great game for Derrick Rose. Took a shot the guy. Jeff you're Teague supposed to be praising. Almost had a triple double last night. Uh, Jeff Teague did turn the ball over five times, but he almost had a triple double
1: last night. It was this is great. Positively, it's old Gaddy and, and how you're praising these guys. And right Jimmy into the Butler,
0: uh, Jimmy Butler was an <sighs> energizer bunny all over the court last night. Played 36 minutes. You know, took took a horrible shot at the end of the game and couldn't defend James Harden, but
1: he deserves some praise. That's a lot of backhand compliments. Wow. I think you yes. just insulted more than, than you actually praised in the pie chart of praise. It was an interesting way of going yeah. about it. Uh, I am going to uh, divide uh, my piece of pie into— Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot about the rim. I forgot
0: to praise the rim in, uh, in Houston last night. Very tightly is... wound, making it difficult for the Rockets to cash in on their three-point shots. So credit to whoever installed the very tightly wound rim— Inside the Toyota Center for the Rockets being unable
1: to knock down this vitriol, a high percentage of their thirty-seven. This, this vitriol shots. is really unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to use my pie chart of praise, David, to break it into four separate parts instead of three. Butler, Teague, and Rose, I will agree, but then a guy that we have not mentioned during the course of this entire uh, show who scored 18 points last night, one Andrew Wiggins, Wiggy, Wiggy has managed to fly so below the the radar on today's Mackey and Judd program, we haven't mentioned him. That in itself is cause for praise. <laughs> when Phil Mackey He's can like go, a long
0: snapper now. If we, you just don't mention him, it's all right. He's, we done, he's are, done his job.
1: more than two hours into today's show, and he has not been mentioned once until I just said his name. Andrew Wiggins, congratulations. You have avoided the darts of Phil Mackey for an entire show after your first playoff game. So he gets my fourth yeah. piece of pie. Of course, we're now to the
0: point in Andrew Wiggins' career where if you <laughs> didn't if ask you, for you to... if you just if it's not a train wreck like if he just is serviceable then it's enough. Like that's where
1: we're at right now. It was enough. All right, it wasn't a total disaster. I'm giving him some praise because he hasn't been ripped on in two plus hours of Mackie and Judd today.
3: <laughs> I'm gonna make you throw some more praise if you can, Judd. I suppose you could rip him for this, but let's go to the wild. And specifically, uh, what you were saying before the series, if the Wild want to win this series, obviously they have to get good contributions from a lot of guys, but number one Mm -hmm. has to be Devin Dubnik, the goaltender. He's got to be rock-freaking-solid back there and make all the saves he should make, plus a few that he probably has no business making. Well, they're down two games to one, but at least in my eyes, he's been pretty darn good not putting up shutouts. So the question is... Has be, he been good enough thus far to win this series? If
1: not, how close? Uh, yes, he has been. Absolutely. Friday night was, I felt bad for, for him. He played so well, and he gave up. They were down one nothing after two periods through a the miracle of God and Dubnik's play. Um, last night, he allowed the first goal, which was a bit of a fluky goal, but I think Brodeen tipped the wheel or shot in. You'd still like to see that stopped. The second goal was a heck of a, a slap shot by Myers. It could have been stopped. But if I was to issue a pie chart for for blame of why the Wild is down 2-1 through three games, Dubnik would be nowhere near the top. So I would say that he has definitely been at least first two games for sure and played well last night rock solid. I do not blame him one bit. He has been good enough to win this series, and he's not why they're down 2-1 for I sure.
0: I mean, like, if you I just take shots on goal, he... Uh, to, to face a hundred five shots on goal over the course of three games, that's just a constant barrage. <laughs> that's a lot of bruises. It's aggressive. Oh yeah. Friday night he was fantastic. Yeah. I don't got think no help. I mean, if you were to look at the reasons why they're down two games to one, he would not be one of the first three or four things you list, right? Correct. That's fair to say. I Absolutely. don't think I think you would list depth. I think you would list um, probably the the top three lines of Winnipeg in those first two games, out skating and out playing the Wild's top three lines over the course of the series. He's not as given, much last night. He's but,
1: given them a chance to win all three games. That's fair. Yeah, I would do not fault him one bit. Now, could you say though that
0: as great, not great as as rock solid as he's been, at some point, if you're going to pull this series out and you're going to win three more games against the Jets, Mm -hmm. and they're averaging just shy of 40 shots on goal, they're averaging like 35 or 36 shots on goal per game, that he's going to have to go like 37 for 38 in one game? In a game where you're getting outskated in Winnipeg, that he's going to have to give you even more than he's giving you so far. Probably, yeah. It's not enough to just be, I'm kind of stealing your role in this argument, but it's not enough to just be, you can't just be the reason why... Uh, you can't just avoid being the reason why a team is losing. You almost have to be the reason why they're winning at least one game in this series. That's fair, which is what you would have said going into the yes. series, right? Yes,
1: but he has, but he has been. If I was to pick why they're down two to one, he would probably I wouldn't even mention his name until about sixth or seventh on that list. What would be the first, like the first three well, reasons? I, can go, on through, your I list? can go through players. I mean, stall until last night. The stall line didn't show up. The stall line is your most important offensive line. Um, the Koivu line was certainly not great. Now, Prezi has three goals, but keep in mind, that second goal that, that he scored in the series on Friday was meaningless completely. Uh, your defense has struggled at times, but you're, the fact that you, in game two, got run out, out of the building that bad, and Dubnik, if Dubnik doesn't play like he like he did on Friday night, you probably lose 8-1. to one. You get absolutely hammered, so... I don't fault them.
0: All right. Uh let's do it. Let's let's spill questions over. Is
3: questions ready for uh can
1: questions Whoa. hold through the Whoa. break? Whew. I Whoa. mean you're expecting a really
3: big third question there to carry an entire segment. No, so. not an entire segment. <laughs> That's what it sounds just like. Just part
0: of a segment question. Just part of a segment. We okay. also here's well, just to help questions out, we also have <laughs> questions doesn't need help. Oh, really? Because oh, it enough. sounded like questions was basically. This is for why questions
1: there. is gonna move. I told you guys. He's talking about <laughs> Boston, <laughs> Chicago, maybe Miami. The FM dial.
0: <laughs> well. That might be a bit of a stretch for questions. We'll see. We'll see if questions is ready to go from the minors to the majors. not sure. Uh, Later on, we're going to get Wetmore in here in like 20 minutes, and then Lindsey Whalen will join at the top of the hour. Judd has a word for Prime Mortgage Lending.
1: I do, indeed. And if you are considering your options when it comes to mortgage companies, I want to suggest my friends at Prime and Kent McCullough, and here's why. This isn't about simply selling you on something. Prime wants to earn your trust. In fact, they would rather earn your trust than actually sell you a loan, and now you're saying, what does that mean exactly? It means that while Prime would love to have you as a client, what they want to do is meet with you first. They want to sit down. They want to explain their plan, and then the decision is up to you. But this is about a couple of very, very important things. This is about teamwork, both internally at Prime and with you, and collaboration. That's what Prime's all about. It's what they believe in. If you're shopping for a mortgage, you can count on Prime to give you sound advice and straight answers. Prime wants to take some of the mystery out of the mortgage process for you as well. An example, did you know Prime may be able to put together a program that can pay your closing costs? Not just include them in your loan, folks, but actually pay them for you. They want to earn your trust. The website to go to is kent.com That's goldprimewithkent.com Once again, with K-E-N-T dot com. Check it out today. Questions returns
2: next. The Mackie and Judge Show rolls on. Ready or not. On 1500 ESPN. <laughs>
0: uh, these tweets coming in about the Joe Mauer cigar photo. Let's see here. Uh, Cavanion tweets in Cigar Joe always swings at the first pitch. Yep, you (laughs) see? Alter Ego Joe Maurer. This is
1: so great.
0: Uh, Devlin, uh, Ultimate Twins fan, says Not saying it bothers me, but given his image being a wholesome family man, admired by a lot of kids, do you think this may hurt his image a bit? He's turning heel. Let him turn heel. Exactly. Let it happen. You know, it's what John Cena should have done 10 years ago. Five o'clock shadow. Cabana attire and uh, swearing off children. The new new Joe Maurer. (laughs) Uh, Cool Hand Luke tweets in, it's the new 2000 hit badass Joe Maurer. Jacob says, looks like he just bought a dirty 30 of old Milwaukee and has a tea time with John Daly in 20 minutes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So what else? Kevin tweets in a photo from, this is from a 1992... Youth basketball gathering of some kind. Yeah, Timberwolves slash Target holiday tournament, uh, some Jimmy Lee tournament, and it's nine African American kids in this team photo, and super pale Joe Mauer <laughs> who stands out from the rest. And Kevin says, "Can you can you spot Joe Mauer in this photo?"
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh my god! You think with the photo. <laughs> And the 2000 <laughs> hits. He just goes by Joey2K now. I think I saw that Joey hashtag 2K. out there. Hey, call me Joey2K.
1: Joey2K. I, I sort of like that too. I love this idea. The new Joe Maurer. This is a great oh, idea. He's got yourself. so many tentacles. I mean, this is a guy. The next time he, he bounces into a 4 6 3 DP and the crowd starts booing, just stop at first base, flip off the fans. Birds up, baby. Just, Birds yeah. up. Birds Take up. that, Minnesota. Take that! Joey 2K, don't take that.
0: Doesn't even run to first base, just walks back to the dugout yep. with double...
1: Double bird, Double DX crotch bird. chopping, yeah. yes.
3: <laughs> Alright, what's question number three? So I was perusing the sports <laughs> blogs this morning, and I came across a clip from the Dan Patrick show. It must have been Friday, maybe Thursday, late last week. Anyway, he was talking about media coverage, how sports media operates this uh, at this point in our lives, in our world, and TV, radio, print, whatever. Their tendency to look towards the negative on things.
0: What? No. Yes, I
3: know. I, I can't know. think of anyone. Josh Rosen, he's a smart kid. Well, that's a bad thing. Yep. Uh, yeah. Baker Mayfield, take a look at all his uh, picadillos. You know, Russ Westbrook he <laughs> triple doubles two years in a row. Stat stuffer.
0: The Wild wins Game Three in impressive fashion. <laughs> mm-hmm. Negative. So
3: I want to know, thing. both of you guys. Every night, the, the prep sheet is put together. There's emails back and forth of ideas and things to talk about and, you know, different, uh, different topics. Do you get more excited, honestly, about a positive talker looking at something in a positive light or at looking at something in the negative light? You're really asking me that question? I'm just curious, Judd.
0: And maybe a why for you.
1: Uh, because I think it's it's far more interesting to dissect the failings of humans and teams than successes. Because <laughs> I like to find up. Because I like to find the why. Like, how do you play? You love the autopsy. You do, wanna, yes? You want to know how, whether okay. it was yeah. How okay. how do you play a playoff game on the road, game two, and you play it like it's the last game of a five game road trip in December. Like, how does that happen? I get, I get how you can come back and play a great playoff game when, when you're embarrassed. I completely get that. That takes, from me, that takes no thought as to, I wonder what, why they play well last night. I knew they would play well last night. But I think it's super interesting to look at a collection of people who, especially when, when it's become a habit for this team, and I I gave you guys the stat, I think I said 1-15 in in games 1-2 and playoff series since 2013, I think it's super interesting to dissect how you can show up for what arguably should be this incredibly important game and play like that. So it's not because I love failure of teams and people, I shouldn't say that. I am very intrigued by it. Well,
0: I think, so yes, first of all, and I, I'm mostly negative on the Timberwolves all year, even though their result has been more positive than negative because they won several more games than they lost. So on the Wolves, I've leaned toward Judge side of the the positive positive-negative fence. On the other sports teams, I do think it's it, we live up to our sort of uh, our tagline, right? Homer in panic. I mean, I'm much more optimistic, although I'm not nearly as optimistic as, like, a Sid Hartman or yeah, I... other, you know. Uh, but you— you are, if it's you versus me, I mean, I am sunshine and you are darkness in terms of our opinions. and Aside our from the on, Wolves. Yes, Wolves were both very much in the darkness. I think you more so than me. But don't you think, yeah, maybe. But don't you think the nature of sports is that if you don't win a championship, then the result is bad. Mm-hmm. But you get this grace period this on the rise grace period. So the 76ers, Let's just let's go away from Minnesota sports where they never win championships outside of the links, and so we're always just like mad. And uh, let's look at the NBA. There's thirty teams in the NBA, and well, half of them missed the playoffs. So bad. Unless you're like really happy with the rebuild, and maybe you're happy that you might get the number one overall pick. But the the half that half the teams fan bases are negative because they lost out on their playoff chances. There's only, like, two or three teams that are on the rise and can get away with not winning the championship, right? Like, maybe the Pacers with their reset, Victor Oladipo, the Sixers. Like, the Sixers don't really have to win the championship for fans to still be excited. There's optimism now, yeah. Um, I would say, like, Utah. You know, Utah has put together a nice, fun, surprising season. And there might be another team or two in there that, it's not surprising, oh, they're on the rise. And they've got a couple years to maybe add to the roster and play things out. Otherwise... Right. If the Cavs don't win the title, negative. If the Rockets don't win the title, certainly negative, right? Right. Like, they're the best team in the NBA. Yeah. If Oklahoma City, again, doesn't win the championship, well, what do you— Carmelo is a bust, and Paul George is going to leave a negative. I I think we're just incapable as sports fans of accepting anything less than failure as being success, even though it's entertainment. And we're not—like, we're paying to be entertained first and foremost, but we sort of translate that as we're paying to be entertained— by a championship team.
1: Well, and I think locally here, it also comes back to when you watch games and teams as much as we do, it's like a marriage. You start to pick things apart about the team and people. The interesting thing in this town is the ways we find to screw it up, because it's different. Like the Vikings year was a lot of fun, and that was a really good team. And yet starting in when we sat here and said, the kingdom thing doesn't seem real. And we were right, it wasn't. Um, does that mean that, that we hated Case Keenum? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But when you watch a team as much as we do and as much as fans do and you've seen things before and, and have reference points to go off of, yeah, it's hard to sit here and say, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm going to put blinders on and I'm going to believe that Case Keenum is going to carry this team to a Super Bowl title and there's no I mean, who goes on the radio and does that? Who's capable of doing that? I mean you're deluding yourself. So, is that a rhetorical question? I just I'm curious who okay. <laughs> I'm curious who could actually go on the air and and sell themselves on something that they know is probably incomprehensible.
0: Well, well, to answer that, I think whether it's the radio or you're just a fan, a lot of times sports are an escape. So you lean toward positive because this is if if there's other things in my life that aren't going well, well I have this entertainment escape that I can maybe fantasize about the best case scenario. So I totally understand that. The Josh Rosen example is a great one, though, Uh, that Dan Patrick brought up. Josh Rosen is a smart kid Mm -hmm. and has a lot of potential and is really talented, and we use these things against him. And this is my psychology 101 evaluation of that. So Josh Rosen comes from a privileged family. Mm -hmm. He's not shy about bringing up the advantages that he has. Um, His parents have connections and money and and he, like, if he never played professional football, he'd be set up to do something else. And he could start, he started at third base, like leading off with a very large lead and a shifted infield where he's halfway down the third baseline. That's where Josh Rosen starts in life. And so rather than looking at that objectively and saying, oh, he's got all these things going for him and he's really smart. So those qualities probably translate to success in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Don't you think subconsciously a lot of fans who don't have those advantages, who weren't born on third base, who, or maybe jealous, whether they realize it with conscious thought or not, would rather tear a guy like that down than build a guy like that up even more than he already is. I think there's a lot of psychology 101 into the negativity of sports fans and media, for sure.
1: I think the analysis and uh, trying to predict the the success or failures of quarterbacks starts with the teams because it's so tough to do and trickles down to us because it's mean? it's become if you look at how much how difficult it seems to be for teams to accurately project qbs potential success and you look at the amount of guys who have failed and now teams i mean you've got teams saying this kid is too smart too headstrong talks too much which is seemingly ridiculous I think but, it, but there's I, other teams saying I think that he's trickles, really cerebral right. and we want that I, and he's Aaron like Rodgers. Sure. We're using
0: he's Aaron Rodgers as a negative. And but think about
1: how absurd that but is. But what I'm saying is you do have a handful of teams that have, have come out and said enough about this kid where it creates this, yeah, you know what, he might be too much of a, of a headstrong player. It might be a problem. Like I look at, at him, Mayfield I look at and say, for all, all I know, there are problems there. But if you're going to come back and tell me that Rosen is – Headstrong, he's really smart. He thinks for himself. I'm never going to say that's a really bad idea for a quarterback. Okay, other than Jay Cutler,
0: and you know what, I'm going to put Colin Kaepernick on the don't touch list either because his headstrong nature is kind of a it's kind of a non football related thing. Other than Jay Cutler and Colin Kaepernick, name me a headstrong quarterback. I mean Jeff George, I guess that that just didn't that was just a complete bust. A headstrong quarterback right, that was that not up. Yeah. That was highly touted and talented. where that was like a negative quality.
1: I can yeah, I can probably run through a list of guys who were like that and have been successful, that didn't but have I have a bunch of other I issues like Ryan on I can't. Yeah. But there are teams, but the amazing thing is there are teams that that scares. Like you don't feel that your culture or structure is strong enough to have a guy who's going to come in and say this is what we need to do to win.
0: But the, but where your logic is flawed, Josh Rosen would never fall past like Half of the teams, Josh Rosen's going to get drafted.
1: No, no. But my logic is this: what I'm saying is there are there's a handful of teams that have opened the door for, for this conversation. As ludicrous as the conversation, I'm defending him. As, ludic- as ludicrous as it seems, there's enough teams that have come out and floated things about the fact that, and they're either trying to to have him purposely drop and or it really scares them. But That's you, amazing. But you, but
0: so you're saying that because some teams have. Trepidation regarding it Josh trickles Rosen. down to
1: us as far as a conversation, saying, "Oh, they might be right."
0: And I think I think a lot of people are just really insecure and would rather not prop up someone who's privileged. That might be true too. I think there's a lot of that in sports. It's a lot easier to cut someone down. It's a lot easier to cut down sports talking heads on TV. Like it's it's really easy to cut down Stephen A. Smith because he's sort of obnoxious. But you know what? He's really damn good at his job and he makes millions That's for a reason. Millions of dollars, yeah. You know, but we cut him down because he's kind of a cartoon character. Well, he's also awesome at his job relative to other people in the field just like Aaron Rodgers is but we're going to cut him down cuz he's kind of hollywood and he makes a lot of money and he dates supermodels and my we only, don't get to
1: My only point is w- when there are teams in in the league that are scared of this kid that's a starting point for a conversation that as ridiculous as it seems is put out there
0: How many teams do you really think are scared of Josh Rosen? Oh, I I think that's I BS. Think,
1: I don't think it's a lot but I'd say there's probably 4 or 5 that it really it really scares them. That they don't want, they don't want someone to come in because they're not strong, because their culture is not strong.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I buy. I mean, I get what you're saying. I don't know if I buy that. Is like to, the to answer Dave's question from 10 minutes ago.
1: There's a what lot. Are, what are your before
0: we get to Wetmore? What are your theories on it, Dave?
3: My theory is that was a really good question. It was it was my theory is it's it's more fun for the general person and if you're not invested in the specific team or player you're talking about i mean cuz vikings fans obviously want to talk about the vikings being awesome as mm-hmm. we got to all season long but i think if we're talking about team b based out of wherever it's much more fun to rip them it's, it's a lot more pressure. it's a
0: lot more comfortable like in general it's a lot more comfortable to bitch about something than to like give someone unsolicited praise yeah like it's a lot easier to go by the coffee machine right now and complain about the weather to someone than to say, you know what, hey, uh, you did a really. Good... I saw this thing that you did last week. It was a really good thing. Like people, don't... it's human nature to complain over praise or give credit. Well, it's, it just it's, is.
3: It's what we get every day. Twitter or email, whatever it is, we get what 90% emails and tweets are negative. You guys are stupid. You guys are idiots. Yeah. I can't believe you right. said that. Whereas you know we don't expect. You know, seventy people every show to say, "Wow, the gorilla really, really good point on Wiggins yeah. there. You nailed but that's, it." You know what? But that's what makes
1: sports fun. I enjoy it. Yeah, it, the I, criticism's
3: fun. They 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 expect you to win. They expect you to be good. But when you're not, let's pounce. You know what? It's Just for
2: today,
0: too. we're on the air for the ninety minutes. If you want to send us a note and tell us how much you love the show, we would Aww. really appreciate that. We get. Th- we get three notes, we're all gonna, from my yeah, family. Yeah. Uh, Wetmore is going to come in here next. We will talk some. Well, The Twins haven't played in like a week, and uh, they have games lined up against the Indians in Puerto Rico against Corey Kluber and Carlos Gras. We'll talk some Twins when we come back. Mackey and Judd. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad.
2: Bottom line is these two guys really like each other. Mackey and Judd. they formed a special brotherhood. They've said, you know what, we can do this better together than apart. On 1500 ESPN. Mackey and Jod are talking twins. Talking twins. Now with 1500 ESPN.com senior web editor and resident seam head Derek Wetmore. Presented by the Canopy Group for the best insurance coverage at the absolute best price.
0: Well, we were hoping to break down actual baseball games this last weekend, but the Twins haven't played since Thursday uh, they head for warmer temperatures in Puerto Rico, where hopefully there won't be two feet of snow dumped on them against the Indians. So let's start off with this. Let's pick up our conversation from last week, Derek Wetmore, about Joe Mauer after his 2,000th hit. Do you
4: think Joe Mauer has a chance to be a Hall of Famer? Yes, I do. I do think Joe Mauer has a chance to be a Hall of Famer because I'm the non-zero guy. What?
0: percentage chance if he were to never play a baseball game ever again right now so that's closer
4: to zero closer to zero than 100 yes I'll say closer to zero than 100 and the part of your question that I'd like to tease out which is if he never played another baseball game again I think this is this is my hot take for the week boys are you ready if Joe Maurer had that uh, season ending concussion in 2013 and instead of switching to first base he just his career was over. I think Joe Mauer would be a Hall of Famer and I don't think there would be much room for debate. So they would instead of counting stats being right. You know, it was oh, man this guy was really on track yeah. but he just didn't get enough Go down as an
1: all-time great catcher.
4: He did yeah, he didn't get to Absolutely. 2000 hits. He, he didn't right, yeah. gosh, he wasn't uh, he only won one MVP. Yep. He would be remembered instead as the one of the best catchers of all time, at least one of the best offensive catchers of all time. I think the switch to first base and sort of the numbers decline that we've witnessed in multiple years since then, I think that's going to hurt his candidacy, and that's where, that's where his debate gets really interesting for me.
1: I think if he had retired after last year, he doesn't get in for sure. But what we're starting to see now is he came back last year and played well. He, again, is playing well. And I, I told... Fill this last week, Derek. I think if he can carry on the second act of, of his career as a Gold Glove first baseman who can hit, doesn't hit for tons of power, but that's fine. Sure, I think he's got a, a good chance. Here's my question for for you guys though: Are we living Are we living inside the Twin City sports cocoon too much? Because what what sports fans here think of Joe ultimately, when it comes to Cooperstown, does not matter. What? matters is what the voters see and how they how they react and when they sit down with their ballot let's say in 15 years or something when when they sit down with with their ballot at some point they're going to see a guy who did things the catchers don't do they're going to see a guy who declined but it can be explained especially with the concussions and then there's a there's a fighting chance now they're going to see a second act which was pretty good I think, when, I think this discussion on our parts is very much based on our perceptions and the perceptions in this town. And I wonder if that's misguided seeing as how I could see baseball people saying, whoa, 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 hold on a second. You're talking yeah. about two pretty good acts here interrupted by, by not just some weird decline, but something that can be quantified. You can point to.
4: Yes. Now, here's why it does matter, and that's because if you compare him with other first basemen— It'd be a joke of a candidacy. He would not make the Hall of Fame. He's not one of the handful of first basemen to ever play the game. He's J.T. Snow. He just is a, a person who plays baseball. You'd be like, all right, he had a long career, and congratulations. He'd be like a Hall of Good, which we like to talk about a lot, but not Hall of Fame, no chance. It's when you stack his numbers up against catchers that you really see, whoa, holy Oh, Nobody does this, and that's where I think that it does matter, Judd. It's not just the local perception of guys who go down to target field and just rip on Joe Mauer because he's overpaid. I think that the switch matters more than the perception. The switch matters. Now we have to decide how are we comparing him. Are we comparing him against first baseman? Then no chance. I would not even say non-zero, Phil. But if you're comparing him against catchers and then you get to add in his first base stats here as sort of this second act, as you termed it, well then, yeah, he's got a really good shot. In fact, that's almost a slam dunk candidacy to me when you look at the other numbers, other other catchers who are already in, by the way. Other catchers that have put up, Joe Maurer stacks up really, really well. A,
0: a good postseason run in the next year or two, if he signs another contract, could really do him well, wonders, too, because he's and, really
4: done he's done nothing of consequence in the postseason. And you mentioned that this second act, we don't know how long it's going to last, and we don't. know. No, I mean, it's, it's going well this year. Last year, I'd say, was a pretty good bounce-back season for Maurer. Mm-hmm. I was at a Twins luncheon on Friday before the weather called all three games, and it was just kind of like their welcome home thing with... Uh, Sponsors and state or uh, city commerce people. Chamber of Commerce. Chamber of Commerce. Thank you. And Molliter got up and spoke in front of the crowd and he said, Yeah, it's really cool. I hope everyone got to experience Joe's 2000th hit. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. And he turns and he looks at Maurer and he says, And Joe, somebody pointed out to me that I got my 2000th hit right around my 35th birthday. Maurer turns 35 this week. He says, So. Thirteen hundred more to go, bud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was like yep. what a perfect uh, like gotcha moment for Molitor. One of the he's number ten on the all time hit list. That's a lot of base hits, but would be really interesting if there was a Molitor like late career surge go, for a guy like Joe Maurer.
1: Go back and look at Paul's career. Uh, Paul for yeah. for the first portion with the Brewers could not stay on the field. Yeah, a lot of injuries. Paul missed a ton for of sure. time. And then and then got stronger and stronger. Well, Mauer, so. uh, sorry,
4: Mauer admitted uh, over the course of this homestand that he did not plan on playing baseball until he's 50 years old, like Ichiro plans to do. So, yeah. so it's not going to be a matter of just sticking around and racking up hits to get to three three k. I don't I don't think he'll get there. But even 2,000, I think you can make a strong Hall of Fame case for Joe Mauer.
0: Well, I mean, some of the lists that he's a part of one of only 11 players ever to notch 2,000 hits, three batting titles and then a slash line of 300 batting average for his career, 390 OBP, 800 OPS. The other guys on that list are Ty Cobb, Rogers Hornsby, Tony Gwynn, Stan Musial, Honus Wagner, Ted Williams, Rod Carew, Miguel Cabrera, Larry Walker, and Wade Boggs. And it always amazes me when you talk about the like the Rod Carew, Tony Gwynn types, Paul Molitor, where you're not you're not a big wowing power hitter, your batting average on base your singles and doubles, and you do it that way. And Maurer, the at least locally, the perception of Maurer, like we hammer him for what he's not instead of celebrating him for what he is. He's Rod. Judd brought up the comparison on Friday. He's Rod Carew down to the career OPS, like exactly the same career OPS. Rod Carew was a 220 hitter in the postseason. Maurer has that on Rod Carew. He's like hasn't been great in the postseason, but he at least hits like 280. In the postseason, Rod Carew stole bases, Joe Maurer was a catcher. Now, Carew played the extra time to get the extra hits as well, so Maurer's career is not complete. But we don't ever think back to Rod Carew's career or Tony Gwynn's and think, you know what, man, if those guys would have hit more bombs or if they would have done this in the postseason, we celebrate their careers as Hall of Famers, which they are. And it just surprises me a little bit that people are so home run and RBI obsessed that they can't appreciate the other things that bring value to a baseball diamond. Yeah, it I, bothers me.
4: I got a chance to talk to Rod Crew after Adrian Beltre passed him. This was a week ago, maybe, to become the all-time hit king among Latin-born players. Did you point out how many home runs Adrian Beltre has and why Crew's career is a sham? No. Okay, that didn't come up. No. <laughs> Oh, that hey Rod, j-
1: just one quick thing.
4: But don't you think Mauer should hit more home runs? <laughs> uh, I said. I just said. What do you? I mean, were you watching? Do, you must have been aware that he was closing in on your record because uh, Carew had been the hit king for years and years and years. And so Beltre has this wonderful career. He's going to the Hall of Fame, by the way. This wonderful career where not only was he a very good player and a good defensive player, a likable guy, but he also played so long that he got to that total. And Carew basically said, yeah, you pull for him. And he pulls for Ichiro. Once Once you get to that 3,000-hit plateau, I mean, that's, that's another level. Obviously, you're talking about a different level from 2,000. So I'm not trying to compare them. He was just saying that... It takes a lot to get there. So, of course, I pull for those guys because you have to be special to do that. I think Joe Maurer is special. I think he's had a very special career in Major League Baseball. One primary difference that you can point out is, at least based on the way the last couple of years have gone, you don't expect that he's going to play to 42, 43, and still be this great player. So the longevity is going to be number one question for him.
1: I I just think that the more I give this thought from the voters' perspective, they're not going to have a lot of the biases that we probably have. and and to your point, Derek, I think what they will do is is if he is now let's say he puts together three good years, they're going to look back to what you're talking about, which is his ability as a catcher and be blown away well, and that's that's going to be if he had gone off the cliff completely and and he was hitting two sixty still, yeah. I'd say that really hurts you. But my gosh, if you go back and look at the totality of his career as a catcher and then he's got a decent second part, that's that's where I think we because we're always operating on on the local sports scene thought of, like Phil said, home runs. Why didn't you hit more? I don't think voters are going to think about that nearly as much as the fact that this guy won batting titles playing catcher, which just simply doesn't happen.
0: It it is fair to say that in his era. The lack of home runs is what is what creates the gap between him and say Albert Pujols, um, Alex Rodriguez. Like there's a clear gap between the best hitters of this generation and Joe Mauer. Yes, but that doesn't mean that Joe Mauer isn't also in that let's call it that like one B tier, because uh, like Pujols and A Rod and Mike Trout, they all, they not only do they have the average and the OBP, but they also have the power to go along with it. Now, if you would have put pool holes behind the plate for ten or twelve years, exactly, and you're like six foot three, six foot four, Joe Mauer, whatever he is, six foot four, six foot five, um, your pro- your body, your back, your legs, your knees, you're gonna you're gonna take enough punishment to where your
4: numbers would he broke decline. down playing
1: first base. Pool holes yes. did well. Yes.
4: he's like 150 years old now, so that that That's plays all? into it too. I, I just want to mention one thing that uh, so Jay Jaffe wrote this great piece, uh, formerly at SI, now he's at FanGraphs. He wrote a piece on Joe Maurer when he crossed 2000 It's sort of along the lines of what I wrote, which was like, let's celebrate this career. I know it's arbitrary round number and great, but don't be jaded about this pause to reflect on the achievement that he's gotten to this point it- Think about everything that took him here, and that's that's a fun story. Can you J- read it when we come back here? Yeah, it's it's actually about Hall of Fame voting, and Jaffe's kind of the preeminent authority on that. Awesome. Let's do that when we come back. Derek Wetmore hanging out with us from the Touch em All
0: podcast, which you can subscribe to on 1500ESPN.com. You can find it or anywhere you would uh, generally find podcasts. And Lindsey Wayland in 15 minutes.
4: Wait, you know what time it is?
2: Mackie and Judd are back. Stand to your duty. On 1500 ESPN.
3: Twin Cities businesses join the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in the 28th Annual Dress for LLS this spring. Thursdays in May, businesses across the state will come together to join LLS in the fight against blood cancers. For a minimum donation of just $5, participants earn the right to dress casual or in a company theme. The top company will receive a bowling party at Park Tavern. For more info, Or to register, visit 1500ESPN.com keyword event.
0: Thank you, Dave Harrigan, Mackie, and Judd. We're hanging out with our friend Derek Wetmore, who likes baseball. He covers Twins Baseball for 1500ESPN.com. He's a
1: simple man. That's how I introduce
0: myself at parties. Hi, I'm
1: Derek Wetmore, and I really like baseball. How are you?
0: I really like like lean meats, vegetables, sweater vests, and baseball. I'm just kidding. I don't go to parties. And I think
1: pace of play is just fine. (laughs) I think pace of play is great. How about a four-hour game today?
0: Hmm. Um. All right, back to this Maurer thing here. We're talking oh, Maurer yeah. Hall of Fame <laughs> candidacy, things like that. Joel you had Mauer. a you had a Jay Jaffe
4: anecdote, yeah, Joe Maurer, and things like that. I I do have a. It's interesting because it goes back to the conversation of Judd. Are we comparing Joe Maurer's career against catchers, or are we going to say, well, this part was against catchers, and then he kind of hung around a little bit too long for his own good and played a position that. He didn't really stack up very well against. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's the central question of his Hall of Fame candidacy because if he goes in as a catcher, like he's in, I I think that's my personal opinion. And, and position absolutely
0: matters when you're time. going into the Hall of Fame. Oh, it's big like, time. I mean, it's there's a lot of first basemen who are, while well, most are incapable of putting on catching equipment or playing shortstop or center field. And so sure. you should you, just physically being able to play a position like that. credit, And then doing it well is another layer on top of that.
4: Yeah, and Joe Maurer was kind of in this wave, you know, the Buster Posey's Matt Wheaters, where it's like, oh, they can hit too? What? Yeah. And Maurer was sort of at the front of that. Uh, Jay Jaffe's article on Fangraphs after Maurer got to his 2000th hit, he basically talked about his peak seven seasons, which is a pretty good measurement for Hall of Fame. You know, hey, were you one of the best players ever in your best seven years? Yeah. If not, you better play twenty seasons and rack up a lot of hits or wins or whatever. If you just look at the best seven seasons, and you, all of them were as a catcher for Joe Mauer, he is the fifth best catcher of all time. Wow! By Jaffe's metric here, the other four, yep, all enshrined. So Yogi you're talking Bear, uh, Gary Carter, Johnny Bench Johnny Bench. Johnny Bench, Johnny Bench, yep, Mike Piazza, and Pud Rodriguez. Wow, yep. like that's that's the company that he keeps when you're talking about his best. Seasons, but
1: obviously there's more to the story than that. Do sure. we count
4: all of his seasons? Do we compare him with first baseman? Like, but he not only it gets messier.
1: And and in that time period that you just talked about, Derek, he not only was great offensively, but great defensively as well. Too. Yeah,
4: and that plays into his value. graphs is definitely accounting you know, was, for that.
1: Was, was great at the plate, but not so great defensively. Mm-hmm.
4: They're definitely accounting for that yeah. in his wins above replacement totals there, and that's mm-hmm. I mean. It's not as simple as boiling it down to a number and saying yes or no. I don't think so. That's not Mm -hmm. what the Hall of Fame is about for me. But I do think that if you're trying to boil it down to a number and saying what were his seven best seasons, go compare him against the greatest of all time, and he's right there standing shoulder to shoulder with him.
0: Also worth noting again here, too, and this plays off the question that Dave threw out like a half hour ago. Why is it in general, especially in sports, fans, media, we tend— Instead of accentuating and highlighting the positives, we tend to nitpick the negatives. We tend to skew negatives. So, yeah. Joe Mauer is a classic example of that, that maybe he's not a Hall of Famer. And if your main flag in the ground is not a Hall of Famer, didn't hit enough homers, not a Hall of Famer, not Kirby Puckett, and maybe those things are true. Maybe he's not a Hall of Famer. Maybe he should have hit more home runs at six foot four, 240 pounds, or whatever. Maybe he's not as good as Kirby Puckett. Okay, but, like, if that's your threshold for getting joy out of baseball and Joe Maurer, then I'm sorry. Like, yeah, you're miserable.
2: Yeah, well,
0: you're miserable. And and you're not able to celebrate a 14-year really, really good career. Much
4: of it was Hall of Fame caliber. I try to do this all the time. In baseball, as an analyst, it's so easy to say, this guy's not good enough to do X. Or this guy's not Pedro. Right. Like Jose Barrios had a really fascinating start against the White Sox, and nobody could touch his curveball. He's about to go start in Puerto Rico, and he's off to a great start this season. Yeah. But I mean, for a little guy, like he's, he might not be Pedro Martinez. He's not as good as Chris Sale. He might not. Or Corey Kluber. And like, at least, (laughs) probably not. So, so, anyways, that's that Buck Showalter said in, in Baltimore five years ago now pay more attention to what players are good at doing, and this is analysts, this is fans, he was talking about managers. He said, there's 29 other people in my job. Some of us pay too much attention to what a guy cannot do. You're always going to be able to find a flaw on your 25-man roster or in your farm system or with any part of your organization, front office, coaching staff, you name it. Rather than saying, eh, this guy is kind of a light-hitting shortstop. Man, he sucks, and we I wish we didn't have him. No, no, no. Get as many awesome defensive innings at shortstop as you can. Mm -hmm. Minimize how much harm he does to you offensively. Try to find ways to build around that. Chris Davis, he's going to hit some bombs. Kind of a bad first baseman. Going to strike out a lot. Okay, well, now you're stuck with him. Figure out how to use that. Figure out how to get the best out of players and stop focusing so much on the negative. We do still have to, as analysts, pay attention to what guys can't do. It can't just be a celebration all the time. But for a guy, a player as talented and as proficient and as valuable as Joe Maurer's been throughout his Twins career, I just think that he should be celebrated more that was That's i awfully positive. Yeah, give you came in applause.
1: here and really... Optimism reigns wow. positivity. On a Monday, too, when it's Derek just snow. Optimism rain,
4: ladies and gentlemen.
0: Way to go, Derek. But you know what? At least the snow will likely be melted in a week and a half
4: from And now. it probably won't snow in Puerto Rico.
0: No, that's true. Most likely. likely. Very oh, yeah, unlikely. At the rate right th-
4: right things unlikely. are going, I'm not going to
1: yes. guarantee <laughs> against it.
0: All right. Bye, Derek. Thanks, guys. Derek Wetmore. Uh, you can find the sunshine of positivity on the Touch Em All podcast and 1500 You do a lot of things well,
1: Derek. I found a lot of them. You, you got a lot of attributes. Now get out of here.
0: Are
4: you taking my advice to heart, or,
1: or is get this... out of here? Oh, yeah, I'm being all right. positive. All right,
0: I'm gone. Insincere judge just made an appearance there at the end of that segment. Wasn't expecting got insincere on... judge. Do we got on tape? Oh, we could we can add it to the list. Okay. Yeah. Go.